0: Hello, and welcome to another episode of Talk the Text. I'm your host, Stephen Breckin, and I appreciate you tuning in today to join us as we jump into the book of John, chapter number nine. Uh, This chapter begins with a most pertinent question uh, that Jesus' disciples are going to ask him. They ask him the question Master, who did sin, this man or his parents? That he was born blind. Jesus is going to use the suffering of this man that he is going to heal uh, to prove some very important things. This man will be healed then he'll be questioned then he is going to come to faith. Uh, We'll look at today and I hope that you'll tune in and follow this concept that good answers don't save. This man had tons of good answers Uh, He had a miracle, but the miracle did not save him. He had a head full of knowledge. As a matter of fact, he was wise enough to even combat the Pharisees uh, at their own game. And he had sarcasm, and he had knowledge, and he was witty, and he even plays these Pharisees uh, like a fiddle, but that did not save him. Sacrifice doesn't save. This man was thrown, the first example of this in all of Scripture, was thrown out of the synagogue but genuine faith and the gospel when Jesus preaches who he is to this man is what sets him free so stay tuned as we turn the text talk the text and then we apply this text to our lives today so as we begin our training tip with the text for the week Uh, As promised, we've been working through five basic uh, principles of interpretation. The first one is content, context, comparison, which is what we looked at last week. And then this week, we're going to look at the culture. Now, obviously, uh, culture matters, how we interpret things. We had friends in college that used terminology like the boot, and they were speaking of the trunk on their car. And we would obviously uh, use different terminology. When you order tea in the South, you get sweet tea and you order tea uh, in the North and you get unsweetened tea. There are several things I remember moving to Shelby and when you ordered a barbecue sandwich, it came with slaw on it. And I can remember as a kid having that mouthful of barbecue slaw uh, and just wondering, why did someone play this dirty trick on me and put this coleslaw on? Well, those are cultural things. The Bible is filled with cultural interpretations that are necessary to really help us understand what the Bible is talking about. As For instance, when you think of the Last Supper, so I want you to do that even right now as you're listening, just kind of picture in your mind what the Last Supper looked like in your mind capture the room and the individuals. Uh, Try your best to make a mental picture of the Last Supper. There's Jesus and his disciples and they've gathered for the Passover. And I will almost guarantee you that you have a mental picture of Leonardo da Vinci's painting. Uh, It is so impressed itself upon our mental capacities that we see Leonardo's culture and not the culture of Jewish timeframe where Jesus even lived. For instance, uh, in the painting, Leonardo paints the men all standing at a table when the culture that Jesus lived in would not have used a standard table like we even think of. Uh, nor would the men have been gathered in perfect, almost look like they're for a corporate photo uh, lined up right there on our picture with jesus standing in the center these men when they gathered for this passover uh, would have sat on pillows or couches they would have sat on the ground they would have leaned on an elbow so that they could eat and bring food to their mouth so it's just culturally that is not the way things took place we think of that even how the conversations that took place in that passage how people did not hear certain things that were said, and we wonder why. Because we've sat at a table in a busy or loud restaurant and leaned over to hear what someone was saying on the other side of the table, when in reality these men were seated around the room, and how they could have leaned back or leaned forward or leaned over uh, to have these private conversations. Uh, Also, uh, one of the things that is interesting is if you look in Leonardo's painting and you look to the back, there are these large windows and it's daylight outside. When in reality, we know that in that passage, it was nighttime. Uh, Jesus here in this picture has long flowing hair. And that would have been very uncommon for a Jewish man to have long, beautiful, curly hair uh, past his shoulders. So there are just certain things culturally that stick out. We talked about this just a few weeks ago on a podcast in 1 Corinthians 8, how Paul writes about the eating of meat that was sacrificed to idols. And if we don't understand the superstition that surrounded this church— then we might even believe that the Jewish people were the ones that had the issue with eating meat offered to idols when it wasn't. It were these Greek and Roman believers that had so much superstition and also had been in such darkness that they refused to eat this meat, that it was a stumbling block to them. And Paul said uh, that even though you're spiritual, knowing that no spiritual demon is going to indwell the meat and then you cook it and eat it and you're going to catch a demon almost like a cold like these Greeks were afraid of uh, but we understand them we look at the culture to make our interpretations so today as we look at John chapter number 9 we need to understand the the real culture that surrounds the issue that Jesus is going to use to truly teach some very important things about salvation uh, the big issue uh, that is going on is truly unbelief in John chapter number 9. The Pharisees were going to refuse to believe Jesus no matter what. Unbelief was going to rule the day. They were not going to believe even though Jesus had made this man uh, see. He went from blind to seeing There are a lot of scholars that believe the reason that Jesus spit in the dirt and used the dirt was because he made the man brand new eyes that he could see, and that Jesus was expressing his ability to create how he had created at the beginning, how he formed man from the dust of the earth, and now he was going to form this man new eyes to see uh, from the very dust of the earth and his own spittle. But we see that these people are upset, and one of the reasons that they are greatly upset is because their culture had been broken, and Jesus does this miracle in John chapter number 9 on the Sabbath day. Well, it's very difficult for us in our culture to understand the Sabbath day, number one, because it was Saturday, and we view the Sabbath day as Sunday because we celebrate the resurrection of Christ. But beyond that, it broke their culture. These people had strong cultural ties to this day and not working. It is nothing for us today uh, to drive around on Sunday and to see stores open and restaurants open and people cutting their grass or washing their car. But for us to understand this, it might help you if you are a little bit older and you remember the first time that Walmart was open on Thanksgiving Day that there was no need to wait for Black Friday or when things were open on Christmas Day for the first time. And these things for us were culturally strange. We would say, I can't believe they're open. People can't wait one more day to start their shopping, to spend time with their family. They're causing all these people to come out to work. I remember all of these conversations. Why? Because culturally, we thought of Christmas Day and Thanksgiving Day as sacred, that we shouldn't have to work, places should be closed, families should be together. And so again, as you look at John chapter number nine, you need to bear in mind the culture that on this Sabbath day, these people, their minds were blown that Jesus would even heal on the Sabbath day. But I'm thankful that no matter the day he came and he healed my broken spirit. So let's go now and talk the text. So it's time to talk the text and as we do so, I want to at least paint the picture before we make some applications and give you a brief overview of this chapter. So in John chapter number 9, Jesus is on his way Saturday to Sabbath and as he passes by, he encounters a blind man. His disciples say, Lord, did this man sin or did his parents sin that caused his blindness? Uh, Jesus is going to give such a powerful response to this question uh, in such a way that he is going to help us understand that sometimes our suffering is for the sake of the gospel and of truth. As believers, I so encourage you that when you face difficulty, look to Christ, don't look at the crisis. When we look at the crisis, we take our eyes off of Christ and like Peter, we fall into the water, we sink down into the crisis instead of seeing the Christ and knowing that he has a reason and a purpose. Now, does sin bring suffering? The answer is yes, absolutely it does. And does suffering come from sin? The answer is yes, absolutely it does. You say, well, Brother Stephen, you can't have it both ways. And I would say, but the sovereignty of God can. God is sovereign in all of his choices, all of his decisions, all the things that come, whatever they may be. And if our sin causes suffering or if the suffering we are experiencing is for the Savior, either way, I want you to know God can receive glory. Our sin can bring us Uh, to a place of sacrifice that we come before the Lord and we confess our sin. Nonetheless, as we look at this passage, Jesus is going to do some very poignant things to illustrate to believers, both then and now, how He intends us to come to salvation. And you need to understand that Jesus has a purpose He has a reason for everything he does, and that purpose ultimately is to draw men unto himself. We're lost, we're undone, we're in sin, and without Christ, we will stay that way. So I want you to see that as Jesus heals this man, uh, the Pharisees swoop in and they begin to ask him some questions. They say, who told you to do this? What happened to you? Are you not the man that was born blind? You've been blind your entire life. And the man answers him uh, down in verse number 11 and says, Yes, I encountered a man. He anointed my eyes with mud and told me to go wash in the pool of Shalom, uh, which this word Shalom means scent. This pool, he said, Go and wash. And I did, and I received my sight. And they said, Well, where is this man? And he says, I don't know. And they are so astonished, and they're so upset, enraged, that they begin to say, well, Jesus did this on the Sabbath day. Why would he do these things? Well, we find several responses, I think, that are so important for us uh, within the church and without the church to help us understand, number one, I want you to know the miracles and they were legitimate, and these Pharisees knew it, did not change the mind of these Pharisees. And if Jesus were to come today and begin to do miracles, the unbelieving would stay in unbelief because they hate Christ. These are the religious people. This would be the modern church of the day. This was the largest worship center in this town. And these people refused to trust Christ. They refused to accept his miracle. They wanted to discredit him at every level. They went to this man's parents. And the Bible tells us in John 9 that his parents were afraid to even answer them in verse 22. They said, Well, our son is of age, and yes, he is the man that was blind, and now he can see, but we don't know anything more. And why would they not answer them? Because they were afraid. They were afraid that they would be put out of the synagogue, and so they sent him back to the man. So I want us to look at several responses of what salvation is not and that way we can reflect and make sure that we are truly born again. Verse number 27 of chapter number 9 says this, and he, the man that was healed, answered them, I have told you already and you did not hear. Wherefore would you hear it again? Will you also be his disciples? This is a a very sharp comment back to these Pharisees. He he is he is saying these words with some pretty strong emphasis, but I want you to see that good answers don't save. Uh, This man is answering them, but he is not born again. We're going to find later in this passage, this man accepts Christ as Lord and believes and is born again. But I want to say to you, just because you know the right answers doesn't mean that you're born again. Next, I want you to see in verse number 30, The man answered and said unto them, Why herein is a marvelous thing that ye know not from whence he is, and yet he hath opened mine eyes. Next, I want you to see miracles do not transform a life that is dead to new life. This man had either his sight or a brand new set of eyeballs, depending on either way you look at this, this man had a miraculous healing. He was blind from birth, and now he can see. And I want you to see that miracles don't save us. I think so often people are looking for some kind of miraculous event to prove that they're born again. They they want some type of feeling. They want some type of emotion. They want some type of writing in the sky. And I want to say that salvation is a spiritual and it is a, a, an emotional thing. It touches our emotions. And, and, and I believe that those things are important. But I want you to see here that the miracle didn't save this man. Next in verse number 33, it says, If this man were not of God, he could do nothing. This man knew that Jesus that had saved him had power from God. He had a head knowledge of this man being from God. But I want you to see that head knowledge does not save. This man knew that Jesus had done a miracle that was a miracle of God. He had direct identified Jesus as being from God. He had a full head knowledge, but his heart had not been changed yet. Verse number 34, it says, and they answered and said unto him, the Pharisees, again, speaking to the man that was healed, Thou wast altogether born in sins, and thou dost teach us, and they cast him out." This is the first record of a man ever being thrown out of the synagogue. It would not be the last. Jesus is such a divisive individual in the midst of religion. He separates truth and lie, light and darkness. He even says in this passage, Jesus identifies himself as the light. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Verse number five. This is not saying that Jesus, when he goes to heaven, is not the light of the world, but it is specifically saying he is a divisive, a bright light, true, true light in the world, and even brighter while he's there in the flesh. And, and he is this light, and this light is so divisive. But I want you to see that this man will not recant. He will not back down. He will not change. And he is thrown out of the religious system that he trusts in, But I think from this we see sacrifice does not save. Just because you're trying to do what is right, just because you are making sacrifices to go to church or to read your Bible or to give money or to do something religious or to be kind to your neighbor, sacrifice on our side does not save us. Sacrifice on Christ's side is what pays for sin. Then I want you to see that genuine belief is truly what saves. Verse number 38, Jesus goes looking for the man, knowing that he's been thrown out of the synagogue, and he goes looking for him, and he asks him the question, will you believe on the Messiah? And he says, I will if you'll show him to me. And Jesus said, I am the one that set you free, and I am the Lord God. I am Jesus. And he says in verse number 38, and he said, Lord I believe, and he worshiped him. Genuine belief that the Lord Jesus is the only way to heaven, that your hope of eternal life, that your source of new life does not rest in anything that you do, but it rests in Christ alone, is truly the only hope mankind has for new life to be born again, to come into right relationship with God. It comes in believing on Christ alone. So now it's time to turn the text. In this segment, it is important for us to understand the main purpose of this last segment and conversation is truly application. Application is so important. Good preaching, good podcast good teaching of God's word without proper application really is only half finished and none of us want to eat something that's half baked and so it's important for us to apply this I want to ask you a question right now and I think what it does is it helps us apply this if I were to ask you in your personal opinion what do you understand it takes for a person to go to heaven for a person to have a relationship with God I want you to reflect and ask yourself that question. A young man that I asked a similar question to just recently made this statement. No one's ever asked me that before. And this individual told me, hey, I've been in church for two years and no one has asked me. No one has really pinned me down on what my faith rests in. So even right now, I want you to reflect. Where does your faith lie? What is the evidence that you're born again and i would say this if our hope rests in anything more or less than christ alone then we've not believed on him we're still believing on something else this man placed all of his faith in verse number 38 of john chapter number nine on christ alone on jesus the god man he'd been touched by him His eyes had been healed. His physical eyes were opened. But his spiritual eyes were closed, and Jesus sought him out. I want you to know that Jesus is looking for you today. He's seeking you out. When this man made such a powerful stand against the religious system of the day, so much so that he was thrown out, Jesus came seeking him. And I would say to you, your hope for eternity rest in a relationship with god's son the bible tells us this man began to worship christ because he realized what he was who he was and and what he could bring to him and i would say if there is anything more that you could add to the finished work of calvary then it would not be by christ alone christ completes the work within us I'll, I'll give you this illustration uh, just quickly and we'll be done today. But uh, one of my favorite salvation conversion experiences I was ever a part of was in a good news club with a young man. And I began to tell of how Christ had given his life, how he was the perfect sacrifice, how he had died because of the sin of mankind or the world. And Jesus went to the cross and and he bore our sins to Calvary to pay for our sin debt. And he was the perfect lamb of God. And he did that because mankind was so imperfect and that he needed a substitute and that Jesus wanted to exchange all of his perfect righteousness for all of our imperfect Unrighteousness and that he wanted to make a deal. He wanted to take all of you, the broken pieces, and give you all of him the perfect pieces. And the young man said to me, Brother Stephen, I think God is the worst deal maker ever, but I'll take the deal. And I want to say to you, that's what salvation is. It is when we take the deal of his perfection. But I want to say this to you that if you bring nothing, If you determine you're going to hold on to your life, that you want Jesus and your own will, way, thought processes, your own desires, and you're not willing to bring the broken parts, the dead part of your life and give that to Christ, then you've not believed. Because this man worshipped. He sacrificed. That's what that worship is. He sacrificed himself before the great I Am. And he received new life. So let me encourage you today. Examine your heart. Examine your life. Do you know Christ alone is the one that deserves your worship? Because as always, he who steals your worship owned it to begin with. And so you make sure that your worship is unto Christ alone. And that you are looking, serving, and working for the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. See you next Thursday.